Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for listening. Our guest on this episode is Nia Hamill from Orlando, Florida. Nia was diagnosed at the age of 35 with stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma in 2016. She had a history of fibrocystic breasts, so when she found the lump, she didn't think much of it. Nia shares her family history with breast cancer, her treatments, and also struggling with so much loss. Take a listen in to Nia's story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Nia. She is from Orlando, Florida, or currently living in Orlando, Florida. She was diagnosed in 2016 with stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma. So thank you for being on the podcast today, Nia. It's nice to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. And um, I just want to kind of share with our listeners that I know you because I used to be a peer mentor with the American Cancer Society back in Pittsburgh, and they had referred you out to talk to me. And so we we had made that connection. Uh, you know, it was pretty early on in your diagnosis, and then we've maintained contact over the years. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor. Um I was so happy and nervous at the time being diagnosed and just remember that the hospital had used them as a recommendation and it was hard to be uh, diagnosed at such a young age, having my children and just feeling like I was, I was unique in so many different ways. And I think all of us tend to feel that way. Our situations are all very unique and individual, but I think we all have a way of, um, just sharing our peace of minds to be able to give comfort to one another. So I was totally grateful for our connection. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. So, yeah. um, so let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis. So how old were you, uh, when you were actually diagnosed? Um, so I was actually 35 when I got diagnosed. Um, it was such a strange feeling, um, 
the year before in 2015, I had just had my normal, you know, gynecologist appointment and checkup. And I thought, oh, I'm good to go. And then looking back, we realized somewhere between September and maybe we'll say December-ish that I had a lump, but I had thought, you know, I always had the cystic fibrosis during my menstrual and thought it would go away. And then I was like, well, maybe I don't, maybe I'm getting my menstrual. Uh, Maybe it didn't come. I'm, I'm confused. And then it wasn't until it had dimpled that I was like, oh, that's interesting. And that I don't think that's normal. So you um, had, when you went to the gynecologist, they just did an exam, like the... A normal gy- breast examination. Just to kind feel of feeling friendly. around, touching. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they knew that my fam- my mom had had a diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, so they did make sure to check. And, and they didn't send you was- for a mammogram? Um, not at that time. No, I'm not sure why. And looking back, they probably should have. Yeah. I mean, Um, typically or, well, you know, nothing really is typical, quite honestly. (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. but you know, a a lot of times what I hear is if there is an awareness of family history of breast cancer, they will start sending, um, you know, individuals earlier for mammograms. So, but you were 35 and they, they hadn't had that conversation with you. No, they didn't. And even we find it strange, like each year that each year, I think as we progress in finding a cure for cancer, I think we find some hospitals just aren't up to par and whether it's insurance or hospitals or their process and their procedures. I do think that if I had a mammogram, maybe they would have caught something early on, um, especially because I didn't think that I would be looking back, I didn't think I'd be so far in advance. Like I just thought it was a simple cyst that I had had since I was younger. I always had this one, um, cyst that would come up during my menstrual. And when my doctor explained, like, it's just a cystic fibrovitinat, it's not a big deal. And it'll come when you have your period. So try to just keep that in mind. And I was like, okay, no problem. Then it grew in size as I got older, still never thought anything of it. Um, so when that incident happened, I was like, oh, maybe that's just from a menstrual. No big deal. And yeah. I really wish I was a little more educated. I think I would have fought for my doctor to be like, I, you know, I need you to check this out. I need an, an emergency appointment versus just saying, oh, I'll just come during my annual checkup in February. Oh, we don't have anything. It's okay. Beginning of March is fine. And oh my gosh. I, I really just thought nothing of it. Um, as soon as, uh, she, she viewed the breast, she immediately said, okay, well, we're going to, um, we're going to get you scheduled to have an ultrasound and and a mammogram. And she's like, and then she asked the questions about my mom and anybody, you know, any other family history and just being very naive. I was just answering the questions. And then she said, and then we're going to go get you down to get some blood work. Do you want to know if you have the gene? And that's when I was first introduced to hearing about the genetic dysplasia. And then I was like, yeah, if I have it, I want to know. And Without um, even talking to your insurance company? I mean, I'm a little no, kind of like, well, no, hey, don't you she, have to talk to insurance just, first? No, she just said, um, she said, I'll send you down to the lab core where it's covered under your insurance. And because there's a history, it should, you know, you should be fine and covered. And I still was just like, okay, it's like no big deal. I'm going to go. Right. Um, but I said, should I be concerned? And she said, let's let's wait and see what we get the results from your ultrasound and mammogram. She said, I am a little concerned. And then I think that's when I was just like, oh. 
And then I called my mom right away because she's a, a cancer survivor and she was like, this isn't good. And she freaked me out. And then I was like, we're not going to do, we're just going to wait until each step. And it literally the first week of March, that's when I went to the, um, my gynecologist. The second week I had my mammogram and ultrasound and my blood work. And then the third week I had a biopsy because they had found that it needed to be tested. And I'll never, I have tattoos. So the guy, I'm really tatted. Like I have a lot of tattoos and the guy's like, why are you nervous? You have tons of tattoos. I'm like, this is <laughs> it's different. different. This is something that I don't know. I'm like, you're prodding and it's invasive and yeah. nobody's allowed to be with you. And I, he, they were like, just calm down. Like I'll never, it was like my first experience with anxiety and having a panic attack. And he's like, we're going to have to sedate you <laughs> if you don't relax. And looking back now, I tell people I felt it to be like, going to the dentist when they have to give you the numbing medicine and it's in one of those areas that is uncomfortable. It was very much uncomfortable, but wasn't to the degree that my brain was thinking it was going to be. Oh, wow. Um, Good for you. So I did the biopsy and, you know, when we left out, I was really sore and just not in a good headspace. I just wasn't understanding. I'm like, it's probably going to come up with nothing because again, my mom had a history And my great grandmom did, but I just thought I always had cystic fibrosis and it wasn't a big deal. And then they called me in for the results and I was not prepared. I had my mom, I had my boyfriend and then my son, because I had my oldest son with me. Um, So they called you, did they called you or they called me into, no, they called me into the office and they said, we don't, we don't tell results over the phone and. So I just said, all right, well, I'd rather have my support with me or if I'm going to be diagnosed, I'm going to have them. I still was in shock as he was saying it. I was like, I'm very inquisitive. So I'm I'm thankful for that because I asked a bunch of questions, but he just kept saying all the terms and I was just like, wait. And then he finally said, you you have breast cancer. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Like, let's make this very clear. Yeah. And I'm just, and I, I think a part of me immediately thought I'm going, I think everyone thinks it maybe like, oh my God, I have breast cancer. Am I going to die? Right. Even with our, Absolutely. our technology, I just was like, what, what is going to, what is my life going to be like? Um, and my mom, I, I love her to death. Like she tried to, you know, make light of the subject. Oh, it's okay. We can, we're going to get through this and look at me. I had it and I'm fine. And but my mom, um, she removed both of her breasts. And I thought, I don't want that. I'm only 35. I'm in this wonderful relationship. And I finally feel like I can be intimate and happy. And why is this happening to me? Oh, my goodness. And sure. I just was like, it was more personal. Like, uh, I was so, I was just in shock for forever. And then. So at what point? They wanted, so you, let me go, go back real quick. So they had you do the blood work for the genetic mutation. At what point Mm -hmm. did you get that information and what was the result of it? So for that one, I received the results the same day of my diagnosis. Oh, okay. It took, it took three weeks and it was, I was calling them all the time. Do you have the results? Do you have the results? What are the results? What are the results? Because I figured if I wasn't diagnosed with cancer, I would have definitely did the preventative um, 
having the opportunity just because if you think of all the chemicals that you go through and the surgeries you go through, if they just remove your breasts and put implants in, it's less invasive as far as, you know, the, um, the side effects from the treatment that we receive. Right. And that I kind of already knew. Um, but when he said you have a BRCA2 gene and they, they go through the list of the results with you, they tell you that you have a higher chance of breast cancer, higher chance of ovarian cancer, skin, um, yeah, there's a number of for them. men and then a bunch of other little things. And I'm like, colon, so, brain. Right. So we had a genetic dysplasia. And then once I got tested, I said to my mom, you should go back to, she went to Cooper uh, Medical, is it Cooper Medical? I think it's in um, New Jersey. Okay. She went there and said, you know, my daughter just got tested. I want to see if I have the gene. And then she had the gene. And then she has five sisters and then one had wow. passed. And so we, they just all started getting tested and someone in the family, one of the daughters was like, I don't want to. And I was like, what? I'm, and I had already been diagnosed at that point. And I was like, I don't understand. You have a way to prevent something from happening. Um, I, I was so heartbroken and I was like, I have to respect, but I was like, I don't think you really understand the depth of what's going on. Right. It's hard. Uh, I just, it's hard. It is. It is hard. Yeah. I have a brother Um, that, um, he will not get tested and you know, I, I certainly don't. It's frustrating. It is. It's (laughs) frustrating. But at the same time I realized, you know, it's, it's his body, it's his life. And you know, he has to be the one that makes that decision and I can't force it on him, even though I wish, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I wish that he would go get checked. Um, you know, I've learned over the course of time that, you know, for it's it, it carries a lot of weight to it. Right. Um, you know, even though you and I can kind of sit from behind a diagnosis and say, oh, I wish I had had this information before I was diagnosed. We don't know what it's like to sit on the front of a diagnosis and decide do I really want this? You know, so it's, I've learned over the course of time that, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for me to say that I would do it sitting behind a diagnosis versus sitting in front of it. If that makes sense. No, it it really, it really, really does. Um, I try to respect it and and say to myself, I think it's just fear and fear is is really what drives a lot of people. And so some people are just a little more like, well, if I can get ahead of the game, fine. And some people are like, if I don't know, then I can still go about my life. And so I've just realized that I have to respect people's boundaries with it, especially within my family. I have two boys and you know, I've discussed it with them and said, when you're old enough, um, we'll get you tested. So one's 21. So they said when he's 25, the hospital okay. has no problem covering him. Um, my brother's going to turn 30 and we, we've asked if he wants to get tested. And he said, yeah, yeah, of course. He's watched myself and my mom go through it. And um, we've all watched my aunt go through it. So I think we're a very strong, um, a strong family. And I'm grateful for that. Looking back, right. um, it's, It's not easy, but knowing that for me, it was about having all the information. Absolutely. I did, I did YouTube. Everyone's like, don't read everything. Don't research. (laughs) And I was like, I have to. So hard not to. But I I was very, um, I did, I went on Instagram, YouTube. I found people who were going through it and watched videos and I felt more empowered 
the more I learned. And I didn't really go on sites to research, but more of like, what am, what am I in for medically and how, what are they doing? I even watched a reconstruction being done and the breast, re- the breast being removed. Oh my gosh. And everyone's like, you are weird. And I'm like, I <laughs> no, feel I just like, like to be informed. when you, when you can't control a situation, your body can either go in flight or fight. And so by being informed, I thought, okay, so I know it's going to happen. So that's the logical and reasoning part of it. Um, Cause no one can prepare you for the emotion. I had so many ups and downs that my poor, I always tell my, my poor boyfriend, my poor boyfriend, like, and I'm, and I tell him all the time, I, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that God placed you in my life and I'm just grateful for you in general. I've heard horror stories of women who have said their significant others have just left them and they had no one or, um, during treatment they've lost, you know, their homes or their jobs. And so I thank God every day for my blessings may, maybe at the time I didn't see them always as blessings, but I do count them as them. And as you're going through it, the most that you can do is, is advocate for yourself and be vocal and get with other people who have it. My hospital had uh, great support in a writing class that I took. And it wasn't, I was like, I don't know how to write. I'm not a writer. But they said, well, we, we read poems and we reflect on them or you can tell your story. It's just about being around like-minded people. Yeah. And I found that when I was around like-minded people who understood what I was going through, I felt happier. Like I didn't feel like such an outcast or like misunderstood. And then which made the diagnosis even worse for me. Right. Um, So I was very grateful for that. And I do support people to say that when you think that you have a medical condition or regardless of what it is, try to find something of like-minded people so that you can find comfort in that. Like, you know, when it rains, I still, my hands start to ache and if someone has a rheumatoid arthritis, I'll go, are your hands hurting today? And they go, yeah, the rain's coming. I'll go, okay, so I'm normal today. That's okay. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. um, someone else who's like, you know, has had, you know, chemo and their hair is removed. And I'm like, do you, do you have a headache today? Is it sensitive? Oh, yeah, it's the, the, the weather. It's, you know, the weather's changing. Oh, okay, okay, I feel normal today. You feel like a hypochondriac sometimes, (laughs) like like everything's wrong with you. I hear Um, you. So let's go back a little bit. Um, You know, so you find out that you have this BRCA2 mutation at the same time that you end up with a diagnosis. And then I know that you also are, um, or the cancer was also HER2 positive. And so Mm -hmm. at what point did they assess for that? Was it during the surgery, before the surgery, part of the biopsy? Like, how did that all... So all of that came from my biopsy because during the ultrasound, not my mammogram, but my ultrasound, the placement of it was um, at the, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. It was the bottom uh, left, no, the bottom right. So I got that, my my cancer was in my right breast. It was the bottom right of the breast in the corner. Um. So when they did the ultrasound, they went into my underarm and saw that there was, um, I guess, inflamed or like certain areas that they saw that the nodules um, had it. So they had to take a biopsy through that way as well. Okay. And so the full diagnosis came after the biopsy results came back. Once they came back, um, I had to like break down each one. It was so confusing. Like, just hearing the stages and then I didn't even know they just tell you stage two. And then, then there's research on the documentation that tells you how 
how they assess where you are based off of the size of your tumor, how many lymph nodes are involved, um, and, and those things. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. And then my mom's like, I didn't know that. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I really, I became like my own little scientist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I feel like you have to, because some of the lingo that's in there, you know, you're just like, what, what is this? I don't understand that. So yeah, you have to. And I was like, how do I know I'm not going to be three? Because, because I had the gene and because I was estrogen positive, my body was just feeding itself on cancer. So it was it was very um, aggressive treatment that I had to receive right. because of that. Because so of did my you have age and the stage chemo before surgery? So the, or? the original plan was the original plan. I got diagnosed in March. I saw a doctor less than two weeks after that, um, and they were like, "Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna do surgery, and then we're gonna remove your breast." Very invasive. Remove your breasts, do chemo, do radiation. We're going to fight this real hard. And he went into, you're going to lose your hair. You're going to do, you're going to lose this. It was all loss. And I was like, wow, this is super aggressive. And like, it has to be done like next week. And yeah, we have to fight it right away. And I said, I don't, I, I need to breathe. Like I have to process the information. Good for you. Um, I would like to get a second opinion. He's like, they're going to tell you what I'm telling you. And I said, okay, you're down the street from my house. This is great. But yeah. I still would like to process and, and do some things. So Absolutely. Um, I, that was one hospital. So then I was like, okay, let me call another one. So I called um, my other hospital that I went to, and the oncology nurse, who was the scheduling coordinator, said, you, you can wait. She's like, nothing is going to change in 30 days. So if you feel like you might get a, you know, stage three or four, she's like, I will tell you. And I know for almost a fact that nothing is going to change in 30 days. So I know if I can get you an appointment, we will start treatment right away just the same. And so I, if you want a second opinion, allow me to do that for you. And she just gave me comfort. Um, so I went and got a second opinion and I brought all my stuff with me. And my doctor said, I would do the same type of treatment. She said, but Um, she said, I I think you can, you can hold off on, she's like, we could do the surgery first and you can see our plastic surgeon and you can see, you know, the breast doctor as well. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and then less than a week later I called her and I said, I'm in a lot of pain now. And she said, how much pain? And I said, it's very, I can't wear a bra anymore. And she said, okay, so come into the office. And I went in right away, an emergency appointment. And she said, I think we need to change our course. And we need to do treatment. So I had already started researching the, you know, the to, to, the, the removal of the breast and had my appointment. Right. So I was mentally preparing for that section of my life. And that in itself was like not easy. And then it was like, okay, let's stop and let's rewind it. And so now we're going to do something different. And that's going to happen in two weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? Um, but due to my age and due to having the BRCA gene, it was me, the, the, the cancer was growing and it was growing very rapidly. Yeah. So they didn't want me to go to a stage three or a stage four. I mean, so the reality is I'm kind of shocked that anybody would have said in 30 days, nothing will change. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was, I'm just going to be honest and tell you that, you know, I went from, um, when I went in, my tumor originally was 1.1 centimeters. And by the time that I had gotten to surgery, uh, which was just a little over 
about 30 days, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that. But, um, I was, I was then, um, at a 2.2. So it had oh, grown. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just a little shocked that anybody would say that nothing can change like that in 30 days. Um, it is, cancer tends to be more aggressive in younger women for whatever reason. And I think a lot can shift in 30 days. I think they, I don't think people think like it's, there's a lot of things I've learned over the time is that conversations that we as patients have, our doctors don't really get to sit down and research that as much. So you should listen to a podcast. Yeah, they should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it does. I did find that I, there was times that, you know, when you go and you say, well, I heard about this and I heard about that and they go, thankfully I had really young doctors and I'm blessed by that. So they were always reading and, you know, I wasn't with an older person. Um, it wasn't just, well, this is the treatment we're used to. So that was always good. Um, and I always questioned them. "Are, Are you sure you've been doing this long enough? Like, are you, are you, where did you get your degree again? And they're like, I've been doing it for 10 years and I know that my age seems kind of, kind of weird because I am almost the same age as you, but I promise you, I know what I'm doing. Um, and it was nice to feel that confidence from them. Right. Um, and I'm glad that, that everything, everything happens for a reason. So had I had the surgery first and I would have done my treatment second, I don't know if I would have been as prepared. Um, but even getting treatment first didn't prepare me for losing my hair because, you figure I was diagnosed at the end of March. I had my first treatment at the end of May and had my port put in a week before that. So even just touching the port was like, what? what? You can't touch it yet. It didn't even heal. It's like, it's still there. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 that's what it's for. And I was, oh man, I, and I love my first nurse. She was just amazing. Um, but then less than two weeks after that, I had my second treatment and they're like, oh, and by the way, this is the treatment that you're going to lose your hair. And I was like, but I have like a week or so left. And they're like, it'll probably happen within the next three days after treatment. Well, it didn't even, it didn't even happen three days after it actually happened the next day. So I wasn't fully prepared for it. Um, And that was in itself an experience. And it's just, you know, I had 16 rounds of chemotherapy. Um, I thought I, when we did to when we got to Taxol that I would cut it in half because they said well, we can do four treatments or we can do the you know twelve. And I said no. Why would I want to do that? Just do the four. Get it over and done with. You know, I'm thinking I want to be done with this business and, and healthy again. And um, I don't think any of us realized because I had been like such a researcher. She thought I understood it that I was getting three full treatments of Taxol in one shot. And I was literally bedridden yeah. for two two weeks Yikes. because it just attacked my bones where I was just immobile. Um, I couldn't even get up out of the bed by myself. I needed assistance. I was using a walker. Um, and then I said, no, I, I can't. I ended up in the hospital twice for pain management because I just, I, I was in unbearable pain. Um, and then I was like, no, 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 I'll, 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 I'll drag it out. I'll, yeah. I'll, please. I'll do the one a week, please. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, so then at what point, so, I mean, you, you do the 16 rounds of chemo and, and I know that they're typically separated, you know, with some time in between. So at what point did you then end up having the surgery? So I finished my treatment on 10-4 of 2016. And then okay. 30 days later, you have to wait 30 days and then exactly 30 days. So 11-4 of 
um, was the big surgery. Okay. Um, and I think I, so I was happy that I was finished chemo, but then, uh, the first week I was okay. It was the second, third and the final week that I did nothing but cry. I had felt like, I just felt like a part of me was being taken away and that I wasn't going to be a woman. And, um, I was very partial. Like I felt like that, that, that made me who I was and it was part of my sexuality and what was I going to do? And, um, my, my partner just tried his best to just say, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, it's not okay. And like, (laughs) stop saying it's going to be okay. (laughs) No. Um, but one day the last, the last week, he just said, said, you just don't understand. Um, you don't understand. Like it's, it's, I finally, I, I felt like I had the perfect package, the, the good boyfriend where our intimacy was wonderful. Um, you know, it just was great. And I was like, and it's being taken from me and, and I don't know what that's going to be like after and everything I hear and I read and I see, it's just, I, I don't want it. I don't want the surgery anymore. I'm not doing it. And then he said, he said the words that I needed to hear. He said, they don't define you and you will be the same with or without them. And when you're 80, it will not be, uh, it won't even be anything that we think about. Cause you know, when you grow old, it's about, you know, knowing your partner and that time you spend yeah. with them. So I'll love you no matter if you have breast or if you don't have breast. And he hugged me after. And I said, I think that's what I needed to hear. And that's I'm powerful. okay now. It was, it was so powerful. And and when I tell him that story, he still gets like choked up. Like, I don't think, I didn't think I could give that much to you, um, support wise or to make you feel so much better about yourself with it. Um, I don't have tattooed nipples on my implants and people will say, well, get them. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is me. I'm like, that's just weird. I can't. And (laughs) I praise the women. I praise the women who do it because. I, I get like, um, they had given me one time the temporary ones mm-hmm. and I was blushing and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my. And my family was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, it's just weird. Take it off. Take it off. Get the oil, get them off. And I didn't even it was do a, that. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a good laugh. Um, it was definitely a good laugh for it. And people just are like, you know, amazed by the strength that I have now. And I did, you know, put it up on my Facebook when I went to chemo and I talked about it. Yeah, I didn't I talk about the dark stuff. And I think um, it makes it, it made me feel too vulnerable. Sure. I don't yeah. I don't think I wanted to put the negative out because I knew Facebook would send that back to me. So I wanted to put all positive out there for people to let them know, like, you know, if you when I would go to treatment and then the next time I'd go back to treatment, you know, there were there were in-betweens that I would talk about with certain people. But I, I just needed that that one day before treatment. I was like, yes, I feel good today. I'm going to focus on that. And tomorrow's not going to be so good, but that's OK. Today's a good day. Yeah. No, I loved all your uh, Facebook posts that I would see coming <laughs> up, all the, all the little videos. So, um, you know, and I think that's part of what we do, too, is you know, and, and maybe it's not true for everybody, but for me, you know, I always really only wanted people to see what was okay in my mind Mm -hmm. for them to see, right? Like I didn't want anybody else to be hurt by the experience that I was going through. I was hurting enough that I didn't want the people around me to also be hurting. And so, you know, if people would ask me, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm fine. And behind that fake smile was a lot of hurt, Um, yes, you know, so it's, it's also important that, you know, you have people, you know, that you can turn to and you can share 
the reality of it. Um, you know, that it's not always fine and we're not always smiling and, you know, yeah, we're glad we're here and, you know, all of those things that people talk about. But, you know, at the end of the day, it really is barbaric and, you know, it's hard and it's taxing and it's exhausting and there are so many complexities to it. So, oh my goodness, I appreciated your videos, but I knew behind that, um, you know, that there were probably struggles. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I researched and I watched YouTubes and things like that. And I think once they took, once I started doing like the reconstruction part and then they said radiation and they were like, Oh, it's 32 and you have to go every day. And I was like, what? This is insane. (laughs) This is insane. I don't want to be at this hospital every single day for an appointment. I'm not doing this. You've got to spread them out. And I've got to tell you, I loved my radiation team like so much that I've documented that more than anything. So the one thing I didn't want to do, I ended up loving the most. Yes. Um, But I think it's the after part that we don't hear enough of. No. The after effects of what chemotherapy, what radiation does, Absolutely. and how when you go to the doctor, you think you're crazy. You know, you've got this weird, like, I just saw a woman on Instagram. She just, she said uh, effects of chemo, and she said something about itchy ears. And I was like, oh, I have that every once in a while. <laughs> I, I just thought that was normal. And I was like, really? That's a possibility? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, we, I mean, obviously we all share our stories when we can, but we rely on our medical team to really tell us things and it, they don't, they don't know. They just don't. Right. I mean, down to certain creams to use on your skin or how to get through the pain of, you know, being inflated through the peculum muscle after the fact. And, you know, they just, Oh, here's some medicine and here's, you know, a pain pill. And I was like, I don't, that's not working. I don't want that anymore. Like fix it. Right. Well, and I finally said, you know, if it's a muscle, give me a muscle relaxer and then, <laughs> I used Tiger Bomb, and he's like, what's that? And I was like, it's the best thing on God's earth. That's what I'm telling you. And it you works. should give it to all of your patients. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you're, you know, I, you're spot on with that. And, you know, I've talked about that before with other guests is, you know, it's they're trained to treat the disease, right? And to yep. get the disease out of our body the best that they can. And, you know, it's not about what happens after but it's the after that many of us don't know about when we're going into it that, you know, at the end of the day, would that have shifted my decision? Maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. You know, I, I can't say at this point, um, you know, if, if anything, but at least you would have felt more prepared, you know, like when we all talk about the things that we take to chemo or radiation and what helps us to get through that moment, it would be nice after to have that like, Hey, so, this is what I'm experiencing. And I know that it's normal and it's part of my treatment because of this, but because it's like a, a sheltered thing or they feel like maybe people would be deterred from getting treatment. I mean, obviously we haven't gotten to the point in our society where we found uh, an easier cure than using chemicals. Right. I've had people, you know, tell me there's holistic ways. And I said, yes, I agree. And now there's new technology. And I said, but I have a gene. I'm always going to have it. It's always going to be aggressive. So I don't think I had the same option as others. Um, And that's the option I had. And that's what I went through. And it's, you do the best that you can with the information that you have. And, you know, you, hindsight is always 2020, always 2020. Mm -hmm. And everybody's circumstance is very, very different. And, you know, again, what works for one person doesn't work for another, Um, you know, so 
I'm going to kind of jump on something that you talked about because I know that you have the BRCA2 mutation. Um, have they talked to you about doing a full hysterectomy, oophorectomy, or is that something that you had already had done? So we did talk about that. So I had an oophorectomy um, because I had said I wanted to do, I want everything to be gone from my cancer. So whatever I have that is going to bring it back, I need that. Um, and so she said, well, we can freeze your eggs if you want. I said, no, I had already tied my tube, so I don't want any more children. I have children. Okay. And it's funny because recently my boyfriend said, I wish I would have asked for you to freeze your eggs. And I said, don't bring uh-huh. that up now. We are far <laughs> yeah, gone. That ship has removed. sailed. I said, I don't need to go down memory lane. I said, there's plenty of children for us to adopt if you yeah. really want to have a baby. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was another part of myself that I said, wow, like, you know, when you have your tubes tied, you can technically, you can still have children in vitro, but it, it's very invasive to do an infrarectomy. Like, that's it. Like, you just have your uterus. So I'm always like, but now what? it's just there and like it is. And they don't tell you that, you know, you're kind of like, you don't, they don't really explain the whole menopausal thing, like your hot flashes and right. uh, the duration of your bones. And so I asked about, my mom just finally, my mom is uh, 57. She just had her, um, she just finally had her uterus taking out. Um, and when my aunt was diagnosed, they didn't do the same thing. They didn't do a full hysterectomy. They only did the oophorectomy, um, with it. And then they told her within a year that they would do the the uterus. And the explanation that I've received was that, um, once they take out the whole entire uterus, it's like, I'm pretty much going to be like, um, an older woman who's going to have, you know, bone issues and other issues that come with that. And so they're like, we really want to try to, give you gradual steps. We've already aged your body a full 10 years. You're already going to be, you know, predisposed to all these rest of these things because of the treatment. So we're kind of going to space things out. But one of the medicines that they wanted to put me on caused uterine cancer. And I said, that makes no (laughs) No. sense to me. You're, you're going (laughs) to give me a drug with the possibility of it. I already have the BRCA gene. So I'm a little confused. So no, that's not an option for me. Um, and they were like, Oh, and I said, find another drug. I'm not taking that one. And I'm not, you already told me about my uterus. So you're not taking my uterus. And so now I still have my uterus. And so now when I think about in 10 years, I have to take it out. I'm like, oh man, but I'm grateful because my mom has been a huge advocate for me, you know, to ask her questions and where we've, we've realized that, um, my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom and myself have a very, um, similar gene. Like it's almost where like, the same person we have same habits same traits same everything in places and we're like that's just weird <laughs> that's but strong it's like family genetics being <laughs> able to watch to like it's just knowing like so if my mom comes up with something I go oh so that might mean that I might get that so now yeah. I'm more aware right. of what the possibilities are for me I mean my grandma was almost nine, 89 years old when she got diagnosed with stage zero wow I was like wow Okay, so that's what a stage, and I got to see what it looked like on the mammogram. So um, I got to see what a stage zero would look like um, mm. and kind of learn. My mom was stage one, I was stage two, and then my aunt was diagnosed with stage four. So I've mm. gotten to watch each stage and how they progress and how it is. And yeah, and it's all um, different. It's all it different. is. All yeah. of us are different. All of our that's treatments it. were different. All of our side effects are different. Yeah. Um, we obviously have the same ones, but. Right. And um, that's why I, you know, again, that's why I like and named the podcast behind the pink ribbon because 
you know, we're represented by the same disease, but none of us have the same story. Exactly. Exactly. So I know number one, that you are on your lunch hour. So I appreciate you (laughs) taking the time with us and sharing your story. We've talked about so many different things. Yeah, of course. I I know that you would be more than willing. Um, And I know that our listeners are going to find this uh, very valuable. So, you know, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.